hosts. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And we are at hairmetalmemoriesiowa at gmail.com. Or you can message us at Facebook if you want to. Please do. We still have a bunch of stickers left with our logo on it. And we would love Heck to mail yeah. them to you. Uh, we've given quite a few of them away, but we still have quite a few left because we made like a bunch. So, yeah, get at us. It's cheaper <laughs> when you buy in bulk, you know. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to start off saying I, I just watched some of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction stuff. Uh, not all all of it, but a little bit. Um, but I saw the induction of Judas Priest, and, uh, and I thought it was really cool. And they had, like, this before footage, like, right before the band performs, where they were showing, like, you know, the history of Judas Priest and stuff like that. Um, and it reminded me a lot of the movie Heavy Metal Parking Lot. Have you seen that? I've never been able to find a copy. Yeah, it's uh, I think it might be on Amazon Prime. Oh shit, I'm gonna get yeah. on it. Yeah, I, I remember watching that one point when I first learned about it. Um, but it's it's basically Judas Priest and Dokken are playing that night at a venue, and it's these people tailgating ahead of time, and that's and it's oh right. Yeah, the film's been referred to as the Citizen Kane of wasted teenage metal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it's 17 minutes long, and it, and so it's like relatively short. Uh, but I think it would be worth it if you if you haven't seen it. I think fan- I'd cough up to watch 17 minutes. Yeah. or something. Sure. All right, that's fine. Yeah, I, th- I think fans of the podcast would enjoy it. So I thought I'd throw that out there. Um, and congratulations to Judas Priest. That was awesome. Hell yeah! Uh, but today we're talking about Dangerous Toys. Yeah, their self-titled debut album, uh, and this was a request by listener Cody McCarthy at one point. So this one's for you, Cody. Um, the album I, ha- I had thought about it for a while, but I just yeah. I don't know. We got so many names that you know we, we, we get on our list that we do. sometimes things get lost, and then yeah. suddenly it's like, oh yeah, that's yeah. a good call, man. So yeah, thanks, dude. <laughs> Yeah, our our list is like a mile long now, so we're we're, we're trying to get to them and uh, and 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 everything. But like uh, our process is a little slow and meandering, I guess. <laughs> and without planning, we would like to right. stress that we don't plan right. much. <laughs> uh, Dangerous Toys released in May of 1989. Uh, it went gold in 1994. Got up to number 65 on the Billboard 200. It was their biggest hit easily. They released four albums total, one live album, and they've toured a lot. So that's kind of the snapshot of who Dangerous Toys is. Uh, I realize not as many people will probably know this one. And uh, on the back of the album, the drummer's wearing a Death t-shirt. Oh, cool. Hey, it's awesome. Cool. Because well, apparently uh, uh, Chuck Schuldner was a big fan of Watchtower. Oh, yeah. And uh-huh. Jason McMaster sang for Watchtower before Dangerous Toys. Yeah. And so they kind of had like a mutual like friendship thing going there. Because like yeah. Jason said about he was like, yeah, anytime Death was in Texas or if we were in Florida, like, you know, he'd come to our shows. We'd go to their shows and. That's so cool. Yeah, far out. <laughs> yeah. Um, the band formed in October 1987. Uh, as Aaron just mentioned, Jason McMaster was the singer for Watchtower, who are a progressive metal band out of Austin. And they're freaking awesome. Yeah. And they mixed elements of thrash and speed metal. And they toured with Slayer, Anthrax, Celtic Frost, Voivod, and Armored Saints. So they were they were up there. They were pretty good. Um, but uh, Watchtower's bassist quit. And then their future seems sort of uncertain. So Jason McMaster uh, was sort of a, he was sort of free. Uh, he briefly, they, he, he got involved with Pantera a little bit. They asked him twice to audition, but he didn't do it. Um, I'd heard about that. Yeah. And then he was invited by lead guitarist Tim Trembley to join his band, which was called Onyx. So slam. Duh, duh, duh. <laughs> 
Yep. The band were signed to a contract with Columbia Records at a South by Southwest um, almost immediately. I mean, they just came out guns blazing. So, um, And then shortly after that, Tim Trembley quit. So, you know, the guy that got Jason McMaster into the band Joke's quit. Joke's on him. Yeah. And then uh, so, so he didn't even play guitar on their debut album. Uh, nope. Uh, yeah. He's still credited with some some lyrics on yeah. on a song, but yeah, not much. And then the, so the other guitarist Scott Dolliver um, played all the parts by himself, and then uh, guitarist Danny Aaron joined after the recording, but he, got and, to and be in the picture. He got to be album. in the picture on the back of the album. So not like, the he's first involved. time that's happened. Because if I'm yeah. not mistaken, Fred Curry's pictured on Night Songs, and he doesn't play a note on there. Yeah, and wasn't there? Isn't there a, like White Snake did that too? Didn't they? I. Like Adrian so. Vandenberg didn't join till later or something. I might, but yeah, there's there's like kind that, of a yeah. long history of uh, if you spend a lot of time on Wikipedia, like looking up albums and reading about stuff, you'll find as one does was pictured on the <laughs> album but does not play. There's kind of a lot of that. Yeah, Kiss is pretty good at that too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what is that? Unmasked that Peter Chris doesn't play a note on, mm-hmm. or is that no Dynasty? Or no, he mm-hmm. plays like on one song on Dynasty or something like that, and all yeah. the rest of it is. Uh, David Letterman's drummer. Um, oh, Anton Fig. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Weird. Anton Fig and Kiss. That just, yeah. <laughs> on mul- he plays on like multiple Kiss records. And then like, wow. I think he also maybe drummed on like, I think he plays the drums on, on Ace's solo record. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Anton Fig had like a long association with like Kiss. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dang. <laughs> The Letterman Show, so so the such Letterman a weird, show. what a weird Venn diagram of <laughs> it is. It is, man. Oh. Uh, Dangerous Toys was produced by Max Norman, who's a British producer who worked with Ozzy a lot, and he did some um, work with Megadeth and Megadeth and Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark and, and ba- Bad Company and Fate's Warning. Yeah, and gotta y- love the Fate's Warning and Y and T and even a little bit, even Ian Hunter a little bit. Uh, but yeah, Fate's, Fate's Warning stuck out for me. Because, <laughs> yeah, they're kind of awesome. Yeah, I dug into some of the people, too, and it turns out one of the engineers on this record, because I, I even yeah. you know read the back of them, there was not a lot of people involved in the making no, of this No, there record. wasn't. There's yeah. three people. Well, I mean, mm. you know, outside of the master, which was Bob Ludwig, which explains right. why all the all the copies sound so good, because Bob right. Ludwig mastered the album. But yeah. um, Aaron Isaacs, who is listed as an assistant engineer, this is literally mm-hmm. the only album he ever engineered in his entire career. I can wow. find no information about this guy. That's I went to, I went to uh, All Music and looked uh-huh. him up, and all it shows is this album. Well, and like a compilation okay. of Dangerous Toys, because obviously, you know, he would have engineered that. Oh, right, right. And yeah, then, like, same material, yeah. I went to Discogs and looked him up. This is the only album he ever worked on. Holy so crap. It's really strange. I even tried just doing like a, like a Google search and just seeing yeah. where I could dive, and I just can't find anything. And this was a successful album, so he easily yeah. could have parlayed this into uh, working on other stuff. Which is funny, because then by way of comparison, the other engineer with uh, Max Norman is this guy named uh, uh, Bruce Barris. And Bruce Barris worked in the industry for a long time. He worked at Sound City. Okay. Uh, he does show up in, in Dave Grohl's uh, documentary for like a minute. Okay. Uh, he worked on albums with uh, people like uh, uh, Tom Petty, George Harrison, The Tragically Hip... Oh wow! Uh, uh, and then he a- after that he got into like doing movie stuff, and he was a member of like the Motion Picture Editors Guild, and uh-huh. so he was in that for a long time, and then died all of a sudden in 2018 out of just out of nowhere. Wow. Okay. So yeah, two thirty three percent of the people who worked on this album are now dead. <laughs> 
a quick tragically hip story. <laughs> uh, my wife and I went to Canada on our, our very first trip when we were still dating and stuff. And we went to Calgary and I had heard about the tragically hip being like, you know, you know, a Canadian band and stuff. It was true. They were huge up there. We went to like CD stores. Yeah. And they I've were, heard about that. I think you told me maybe. Yeah. It was, it was impressive that they really did have a following and like, you know, and all the members of the band were like, you know, revered and did, you know, festivals in their hometowns and things like that. And yeah, they, they, they really are big in Canada. Uh, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> Dangerous toys. Uh, the singles "Teasing and Pleasing" and "Scared" were played heavily on MTV's Headbangers Ball, uh, and they had a moment, man. They 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 toured the world. They did. They got to yeah. tour the whole bunch of cool bands. Yeah, they played and... with the Cult and L.A. Guns, Striper, Faster Pussycat, who we've talked about, the Almighty, who I don't know. I don't know uh, that name at yeah, all. Bonham uh, and and Junkyard. And Junkyard is a uh, uh, Axl Rose is a big fan of Junkyard. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was they, a big booster of them. Yeah, so they, they so they played with some pretty big people. Uh, and their 1991 tour for their second album that we you know won't, won't be necessarily talking about. Uh, probably they were not. On a, on a tour called the Operation Rock and Roll Tour, uh-huh. and it was Judas Priest, Alice Cooper, Motorhead, Metal Church, and Dangerous Toys. Oh wow! Like come fucking <laughs> on, hell yes, dude. Yeah. that's a great show. Yeah, they were in some great company, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, they contributed a song to the Shocker soundtrack, which was a Wes Craven film. Um, yeah, there's a Megadeth song on there. Oh, because it was all produced by Max Norman. Oh, yeah. Okay. There okay. you go. <laughs> uh, there's the Dangerous Toys' second album was produced by Roy Thomas Baker, who we've talked about on here before. He did yes, the, because he did, he did the Motley Crue record that we yeah, talked about. Yep, yep. And I think he's come mm-hmm. up other places, too, but I did mm-hmm. The Motley Crue is what sticks out to me. Yeah, and he he hasn't done like a lot, but what he's done is all good stuff. He's you know Queen and the Cars and Journey and shit. Um, and uh, and Dangerous Toys released videos and singles, but the second album just didn't sell, and they were dropped from the Came label. Came out in '91. Yep. Uh, it's this is like the timeless hair metal story. I think you know first one you know you did pretty well. Second one not as good. Too bad. See ya. <laughs> Turns out we've told this story a few times. Well, right, yeah. at least this album it came out in June of '91. So at least had a couple months to kind of, well, you know, back then too, you, this was still in the day where sometimes it took an album like a year to like, yeah, find its traction. So yeah. this album was out for three months before Nirvana came along and said, yeah, that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Um, Dave Sabo from Skid Row asked Jason McMaster twice to audition for Skid Row. After Sebastian Bach was not involved with him anymore, but he didn't. He didn't go. I thought that was that's pretty. That would have been pretty interesting. He would have yeah, been a good choice. Actually, they, was that ninety six? Because I mean, weren't Dangerous Toys kind of inactive-ish by yeah, then? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, they they get back together and tour a little bit, but I don't think they did anything on the scale that they used to. So. Um, and then uh, another interesting tidbit I found out is in 2005, Mike Portnoy, the uh, drummer from Dream Theater, asked McMaster to sing for, oh, uh, for a, uh, uh, a Rush uh, tribute. Uh, yeah, the uh, 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 Cygnus and the Sea Monster or whatever. Uh, oh, I, I didn't see. I didn't catch the name of it, but like they just did a Rush tribute with uh, Sean Malone yeah, from Cynic. Yeah, I've, I've, I have that album <laughs> on my on my yeah. iTunes. Yeah, and Paul Gilbert from yep. Mr. Big, who we've talked about. Which and they and they recorded and filmed that. I would like to check that out. Oh yeah, I, I've, I've I've both watched I, and listened to it many times. I imagine it's really good. It's way good because uh, <laughs> it was part of because Mike Portnoy did this whole thing where he had these series of like tributes that he did. Uh-huh. He had one called Yellow Matter Custard. 
It oh, was yeah. Like, it was uh, Neil Morse was singing that one. Okay. And, like, he, he used, like, an authentic, like, Ringo drum kit. Yeah. And they, he did one called Hammer of the Gods. Yeah. Uh, and he played, like, an authentic Bonham kit. He has, like, a total, like, okay. Neil Peart kit for Sickness and the Sea Monsters. Oh, wow. And then he did uh, a one called Amazing Journey. Uh-huh. That was him and his, his buddies doing uh, Tommy all the way through. Oh, wow. And the vocalist for that was Gary Sharon. Oh, cool. So, yeah, if you yeah. go look at Mike Portnoy's little tribute band history, it's yeah. pretty fucking cool. Yeah. And, yeah, he gets good people. So I <laughs> I remember seeing that he picked Jason McMaster for the Rush one. I'm like, yeah, you found about the rightest possible voice <laughs> to handle that. That's, that is well played. Yeah, you know, so when I, I found that out after I was listening to this album, and I was sort of like thinking, man, he would be really good at those high pitched vocal rights. Yeah, know? That makes of like a lot all of the sense. vocalists we've talked about, yeah. the only one who might even be close to this to Jason McMaster would be like Ray Gillen or something like right, that from yeah. Badlands. But outside of that, yeah. nobody else would sound right. Yeah. Yeah, so I have to check that out though. They they, they said it was recorded and filmed, and so I kind of yes, like, it was. Uh, like the video, the whole video is on YouTube. Okay, I, I need to YouTube that. Uh. In 2015, Jason McMaster's leather pants were displayed in the Texas Musicians Museum in Irving, Texas. I thought that was interesting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The pants. We're big fans of pants here on this podcast. It's sort of like how with Michael Jordan, it's got to be the shoes. Well, with Jason, it's got to be the pants. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I found a tidbit from the Hair Metal Memories Library. What? Yeah. The it, I found a show review in the April thirtieth, nineteen ninety issue of Circus that we just we told you last time how we you got found it. one. I found it. Oh, I found a man. show review. Uh, it's a show that they played with Bonham and the Cult, and the review talks about how underattended the show was, and it's pretty critical of Dangerous Toys. Really? Yeah, which surprised wow, me. Wow, because that like, um, that sounds like a great trio of, of yeah. bands to what? Yeah, they they talk about how like uh, none of the bands were popular enough together to like pull in people and stuff like that and then uh but they mostly they have gushing things to say about the other two bands uh for the most part but like uh i'll i'll, I'll read it here they, oh, no. they so they talk about how diverse dangerous toys is and they say that the, they have all their bases covered but that that's the problem and so so here's the quote at the moment the band can't seem to de- to decide their direction pop or metal Watered down Guns N' Roses or Southern Fried Boogie. Rather than making them interesting, it just makes them scattered. A competent all-occasion band, sure, but a band for the moment anyway with not a lot to say. Damn. <laughs> I was like, That's g- cold. That was pretty cold. I was like, you know, circus, jeez. <laughs> wow, yeah. Yeah. I clearly liked it. I yeah. clearly liked them more than circus did. <laughs> Uh, these days, Jason McMaster performs in a in a bunch of Austin-based rock bands, actually, including Sad Wings, Capricorn USA, and Broken Teeth, a band formed in 1999 with a uh, Dangerous Toys guitarist Paul Liddell. Um, he's also in Kiss and Judas Priest tribute bands. Uh, Liddell left Broken Teeth in 2006 and now writes and performs with Adrenaline Factor, Jokerville, and 99 Crimes. So they're they're staying active with all these groups. Um, Have like, you heard about what Jason McMaster is doing like right now or just got done doing? No. Uh, uh, right now, Armored Saint is touring with Wasp. Okay. And John Bush, the vocalist for Armored Saint, ran into some health issues. He didn't get he didn't get COVID or anything, but he got something that, like ended up thrashing his throat. And he tried to like just tough it out and play another show, and it made it worse. And the doctor's uh-huh. like, "Nope, you got to sit out for a little bit." So they got Jason McMaster to do the Armored Saint vocals for like a couple nights. Oh man, that that's a good fit too. Hell yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, and good on him. It sounds like he's keeping crazy busy. Very much so. Oh, uh, 
Paul Liddell is also a music instructor who teaches guitar. Uh, drummer Mark Geary and bassist Mike Watson record and perform in an Austin-based heavy metal band called Proof of Life. Um, the band has reformed, and they've toured some, and uh, Teasin' Pleasin' was covered by Shadows Fall in 2006, and they got Jason McMaster to do a guest vocal on it. So I did see that. I thought that was kind of cool. And they still play at least one live show every year. Like the, mostly in Austin, I don't. I think their 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 band their heart their hardcore fan base is probably based more around Austin. It I would like. assume as much. Yeah. So down there they can sell out shows, but if they tour, they're you know they're gonna be scraping by probably. They never quite burst through the way a lot of the bands. I mean, did. I guess that's basically what's being spelled out for us here. Yeah. Uh, what are your memories with the album? Uh, I never really. Li- I don't think I listened to the whole album back when I was a kid, but I remember seeing the video for "Scared." That was like the first thing mm-hmm. I ever heard by him, and I really liked that song. And then, uh, do you remember when Coca Cola did their pop music summer? It was the summer of 1991, and you could get like CDs in 24 packs, like little mini three. Oh CDs. yeah. Well, you could also send away for cassette tapes, and I didn't own a CD player, so yeah. I sent away for cassette tapes, and uh-huh. uh, I sent away for the hard rock metal tape. And uh, the same tape that had Judas Priest Touch of Evil also had Dangerous Toys Tease and Pleasing on it. I was like, oh, that song's fucking cool. Right on. Right on. Yeah. Sweet. Of course, the funny oh. thing is that tape, that, that same tape also had Pearl Jam's Alive on it. Oh, oh weird. And it was from the forthcoming <laughs> album 10 because that album wasn't going to come out for like another three months or something like that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so I knew those ones. Uh, and that was pretty much all I knew until like 98, 99. I had a friend who had that album. We used to listen to it at his house a couple times. Uh, yeah. But then, yeah, then when we started putting this show together, I was like, man, I want to go back and listen to that album. So yeah, yeah, I went and bought a copy, and now I'm yeah. So here we are. Huh? <laughs> so was this one that you listened to when it came out, or not much? I I, I listened to I had heard Teasing Pleasing, um, and I think I had a uh, my friend Kent might have uh, played it at one point for me if I remember right. It wasn't one that, that immediately grabbed me, honestly. Um, and and my musical tastes were kind of shifting a little bit at the time and stuff. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I I I uh, was really drawn into the cover artwork though. I mean, the cover it art is great cover art. Yeah. You know, it's pretty, you know, it's it was unique. It's like they came up with their own style, it seemed like, for that cover and, and stuff. But, yeah. And, uh, yeah, let's get into the album. Let's uh, do it. At uh, 39 minutes and 11 seconds, it's a pretty short record. And I admire yeah. that. Yeah. And it just rocks the whole way through. I mean. Yes, it does. There's, they, they don't slow down. There's no, there's no ballads. <laughs> nope. No ballads. Um, there's also very little time between tracks. I notice, uh, uh, you know, just I work boom, on, boom, yeah, it's just boom, boom, boom. Usually you have like two seconds between songs and stuff like that. But th- these, th- this just jumps right, right through it. I really enjoyed the yeah. Max Norman production because it's not like super produced. I mean, there's still kind of a, right. the drums are kind of biggish like you yeah. got in the eighties, but not like huge the way some of the albums you hear, you know, yeah. it really does just kind of sound like a band rock and I don't, yeah. it's, it's really lean and I like that. Yeah, and and I thought it sounded like the album's kind of like a, it's it's like a party. It's like you know, and Very. so and when they keep the songs flowing like that, it's like let's keep the party going, you know. And it's all about fun. It seems like, um, but they really are great players too. With, they are. With, They're with, all really tasteful, good players. <laughs> yeah, doing a deep dive on this, I was sort of like you know, first it's like well, it's like you know, there's there's part of it where it's like you know, this is fun party rock and everything, uh, which I'm fine with but like you know but there's also like wait a minute they're doing some stuff (laughs) yeah right yeah and the guitars sound great they do max norman (laughs) grabs some great tones man yeah 
Uh, so we're kicking off the album with Teasin' Pleasin', um, you know, which was a single for him. This is a great way to start an album. Oh, yeah, right off the bat, just coming yeah. out and just firing. Yeah. And uh, I was also really impressed by how many, like, tempo shifts there are in this song. Yeah. They switch <laughs> tempo and vibe, like, a lot in it. Yeah, know? they do. Yeah, uh, and it swings. The song has a swing to it, you know? And it has attitude just pouring out of it. That's so one it, of the vibes I think we end up getting on this record is that there's a lot of swing on it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the song seems to be about sleeping with another guy's wife. I think at least uh, that's what the midsection leads us to believe. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the song has two different sections after the second chorus. I mean, you mentioned like the different sections in the time. Yeah. So they're really mixing it up here, arrangement wise, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, let's let's play some of this just to Absolutely. set the let's set the tone of what we're doing. <laughs> I like how they just get right to the chorus really quickly, too. They waste no time. <laughs> yeah, and it's a weird cross between, it's like, okay, well, this is blues rock. Oh, wait, no, it's metal. It's like, you know. Yeah, they, they hop around just within <laughs> the song. It's kind of funny because, yeah, there's only two songs on this whole record that cross four minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I guess they'd have to be. If it's a short album, they'd have to keep Everything gets right to the point. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we have Scared, which was another another single for them. Uh, and it's another banger. And it's um, a tribute to Alice Cooper. It's a tribute to Alice Cooper. I thought that was really cool. Um, there's great lyrics on this one. You know, I, I think they did a good tribute to him. Uh, and I love the there's like these little spacey breakdown moments with the weirder chords. They pick some yeah. really cool chords in this song. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then, and there's a ripping solo on this. Um, th- I wanted to play some of this one too, just because I want to. I, I want to hear the ripping solo, and I and I also like a little bit of the weird chord uh, chord well guitar played. bit. Yes. It's just really unusual, but it's like really. Yeah, it's like, cool. it's like all this like rock out. <laughs> I think like the only other band that sometimes does something like that is like sometimes Rat does some of that. Like yeah. When they fall into their verses, do those. Yeah. It's like let's just take a pause and get psychedelic for a second. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that section a lot. Um, 
And then we have Bones in the Gutter. Um, I have no idea what this song is about, but it sounds cool. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much a great title. I guarantee yeah. you they had a title first. That's my guess, you know? Yeah. And then, like, the lyrics are kind of written around this kind of thing that yeah. sounded really neat. Yeah, there's something about a trucker woman in there. <laughs> I, I, I do enjoy the syncopated little bits they hit in the verses and things like that. That's, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, this one has a really awesome solo on it, too. Uh, and by this point, I'm thinking, like, this guy can wail. I mean, and the fact that it's one guy doing all the guitar work. And did we just... say that the guy who quit was the elite, original lead guitar player? Yeah, so this I think d- so. this dude stepped in to play lead. Right. Like, yeah, and he's doing, like, he's right. got Van Halen moves and stuff. And that, uh, that last, you know, the scared solo, it's really melodic. I mean, he's, it it's flashy, but it's melodic, um, and so like he's he's very tasteful too for for being one of those hotshot guitar player guys. Uh, track four, "Take Me Drunk," um, definitely some more swing influence here. Um, part of the vocal performance on this reminds me of Axel. Yeah, he was really busting mm-hmm. out his acrobatics, which is hilarious because like, how many '80s albums that we yeah. listen to like have this? particular type of song on it you know right exactly <laughs> i'm drunk let's go fuck it's like well, i mean it, yeah that is a, a sentiment that's usually pretty easy yep. to identify with yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah i think it's, it's like about getting drunk and grabbing a woman's ass and it's not going well is that kind of like the that most seems <laughs> to be what was being suggested yeah i mean so at least it has the part in where it's like not going well i guess but, um, but, as no. i mentioned but damn he can sure fucking belt about how it's not going yeah, well yeah mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a really sweet solo on this one too, with some finger tapping and then a breakdown that's really cool too. So I kind of wanted to play this one. Oh man, the side <laughs> A's just getting you left and right. It, it man. is, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's the axle bit. That's very axle. <laughs> Uh, I mean that a lot of stuff happens there. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, for like a song that's like it's like a straight ahead rocker, it's like boy, there was a we just got we went through a lot of things right there. Yeah, <laughs> and and I like the vocal harmonies on the choruses. I think I think they put some time in on those, and those sound like really cool too. Because if Danny um, Aaron didn't play on the record, that means those all that backing vocal on that is being made up by just Jason McMaster and the bass player just right. Yeah, overdubbing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I, you can tell that they're having fun on this one for sure. Uh, I mean, that really comes through. And then there's that very like really cool chromatic walk up and then walk back down at the end. That's really cool. Um, and it, so it feels like they're stretching the genre a little bit arrangement wise. And, I, and I'm just a sucker for that kind of stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> 
next we got Feels Like a Hammer. The side closer. Yeah. And this starts with some acoustic guitar, and it's sort of like, oh, here it comes, the ballad. You know, and it's, and it's pretty cool, but then it just goes right into a rock song, and it's like, and it's, no ballads here. <laughs> I, yeah, and that's, this isn't the only time on the album they do that kind of acoustic fake out either. Yeah. It happens again later. Yeah. Um, because this song actually kind of like has like a Zep vibe to it in some of the parts. It feels oh, like. Oh yeah, me. yeah, you're right. And I honestly thought yeah. it was like the second best song on the side. Yeah, yeah, I, I like this song a lot too. Yeah, there, there's awesome big vocal harmonies on the choruses. Um, um, well, this this is the only song on uh, the whole album that has external musician credits on it. Oh yeah, as in people who weren't in the band. Uh, and this this is the like one of the weirdest things that I found on here. Uh, somebody named Paula Salvatore does backing vocals on it. And I was like, who the hell? Because I've got nothing on that name, right? So I yeah. looked it up, and it's somebody who just like worked at Capitol Studios, who is currently the vice president of the Universal Music Group. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, wow, that's, okay. that's going. Wait, wait, wait to getting good with the boss. Damn. <laughs> Yeah, sing on her album. Because like, there's, I, I found like an interview with Paula Salvatore on a, in a tape op magazine. Oh wow, okay. And then there's a, the other backing vocalist credit is somebody named Sims Ellison, who uh-huh. played a bass in a band called Pariah that existed wow. for a hot minute in the '90s. Okay, they were kind of a rock band that just got signed a little bit too late, and their uh-huh. their major label debut was 1993. So it kind oh, of wow, okay, boom, sunk yeah. without a trace. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's exactly two like non-band members who sing on one song on this record. Yeah, yeah, I, think, I get the impression Jason McMaster did a lot of heavy lifting on it. It, it seems sounds like, like it. Yeah, he plays lots. He plays multiple instruments and stuff too. He he plays everything. I think this is actually one of the few albums that he doesn't play another instrument on, and he just okay. sings on it. Okay, but you're right because eventually yeah. uh, this bass player leaves the band, and then another bass player leaves, and for a little bit he just does bass, plays bass, and sings. Okay, wow. So, yeah, he he's done it. Uh, and, and this and feels like a hammer seems to be about a bad relationship as far as I can tell. That was uh, that was as much as I got out of out of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got sport no Woody. I'm not really sure what this one's about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one's silly. It's it's a boner song. It's a and it's got the word titties in it. Um, so and there's there's kind of a almost a rap section in the last verse, which is kind of weird too. Once again, they just like to cover yeah. a lot of ground and yeah, just... but it's kind of cool, you know. Um, I like how fun this is. I it's a uh, you know it, it's tempting to think of how like nobody would write something like this nowadays and stuff like that. Um, but I'm just I kinda, would yeah I'm just happy to go along with the fun of it uh, and just you know say this was a different time when songs about mm-hmm. boners could be on the radio more. And Which is funny because like the song yeah. kind of has like a '70s rock vibe to it. To it me. does like yeah. that sort of rocking out '70s thing yeah. that used to go on. Yeah, um, and, it, and it's pretty playful. And it has a Sex Pistols <laughs> reference at the end of the song if you listen. Oh, and I it's all faded out. You hear that? You hear Jason just go, problem. Oh, okay. Like, nice. Well played, dude. That's cool. That's cool. Then we've got Queen of the Nile. Um, this is more big choruses, and and I'm a big fan of the big chorus. So uh, you know that's always good. I said this one was about as close as we got to a a ballad on the album, but it's not yeah. like you know that sort of yeah. like uh, mid paced rocker that you get like right. a lot of side twos that isn't quite a ballad yeah. but it's also not just like a flat out rocker yeah yeah yeah, 
Yeah, and it has a another pretty sweet solo on it. Um, uh, his voice gets really up there at points. I mean, he can really belt. You know? Absolutely, and I'm actually, yeah. you know, I'm actually kind of surprised this song wasn't picked as a single because when Me you too. think about the context of the times, you yeah. can totally see this having a video, right? Yeah, I mean, you can. Yeah. It, yeah, the video writes itself. Dang, yeah. Um, yeah, lyrically, it's uh, pretty straightforward, nothing too deep. It seems to be about uh, Cleopatra and imagining being with Cleopatra. I mean, that's that's what I got out of it. But um, uh, we get to kill ourselves with a snake at the end, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, we've got Outlaw. Um, this is a song about being an outlaw. I almost <laughs> it makes me think of this song by the cult called Outlaw. Uh, <laughs> Is that a song about an outlaw too? It might be. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of hit you over the head with outlaw a lot. They're like, I'm an, I'm an outlaw, I'm an outlaw. Although, you know, yeah. I actually think yeah. this uh, ended up being one of yeah. my favorite songs on the whole album. Me too, me too. And uh, like yeah. some of the guitars actually get kind of chunky in it a little bit. They do. And I was genuinely surprised yeah. by that. Because, you know, I mean, yeah. not that they're not like, you know, like a hard rocking band, but they're not particularly like, you know, you know. Yeah, no, they're not chugging. There was a few yeah. times where I'm like, whoa, hey, all right, yeah. getting a little heavy there. Yeah. Plus, they have a Clint Eastwood reference where they say, make I my day. I did hear that. Yeah. Uh, there's another really sweet solo with tapping and some harmony guitar. <laughs> and, and and you know what a sucker I am for harmony yep, guitar. That was my other note on the song was, wow, that solo is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, so we got to play that. <laughs> oh, hell yes, dude. <laughs> I just noticed that one of my notes is this sounds more like a metal song to me. So <laughs> we're on the same page yep, with see, that yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, you got it. But yeah, he just busts out yeah. all the tricks out of the bag on this one, man. That's great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and the, those harmony guitars, man, that's that little little tribute to Judas Priest, you know. Um, lyrically, this is like a more hard rocking, less subtle version of Wanted Dead or Alive by the Jovi, I think. Ah, uh, yes. Like, like lyrically, it's a lot about like, you know. This is a way better version of the same topic. Right, <laughs> right. You know why? Because it doesn't have any Bon Jovi on it. Yep. Uh, then we have Here Comes Trouble. Um, this is the other one you mentioned. Yep, I was like, mellow yeah, intro. as soon as the guitar kicked in, I'm like, ah, and now we have our, nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's going to be a sad tune, but nope. <laughs> they bust into the song right after that. And, uh, and I love the line, got veins of wire. That's really that's, that's good. That's a really evocative line. I haven't heard that veins of wire. No, it, I, I that, like that. that sticks out. Uh, there's the tiniest bit of social commentary in here, uh, where it's like growing up in a shitty way that leads the character being leads to the character being a criminal. Um, but they don't dwell on it. They don't, don't you know hit you over the head with it. No, there's a line about social workers basically in there that basically that's the primary reason that I, would, I, I took it as you know. And this Social was, commentary. This was another one, like sound-wise, that I was like, you know, it. Yeah. It, it sounds like an '80s rock tune, but like, it sounds yeah. more like something like like Rat or Skid Row, but like only those ones. 
You know, yeah. uh, of all the... I mean, you know, there's a lot more sound going on in 80s music than a lot of people like to acknowledge. But even with so, and within that, even this tune, it sounds like a lot more like in a very specifically like Skid Row or Rat vein. I don't know what yeah. it is. That's just what I hear in my head. There's yeah. all the other bands I think of from that era who were like, they would never have a song like this. And it's like only this tiny little group of them. Yeah, I thought this song in particular, I think I think you're right. The guitar tones are extra good. I mean, they there, are. There, there's something about it that I was just like, whoa. <laughs> I think part of it is just yeah. Max Norman's a good producer. Because yeah. he's the one who produced it, engineered it, and mixed it. Oh, he did okay. everything. The oh, other okay. two guys are just assistants on it. Okay. So okay. it's basically like this this all the sonics on here, this is like Max Norman's vision. Okay. That's uh he's got a good vision then. They recorded it at uh they actually recorded it at Sound City and mixed it at the record plant. So, I mean, like, oh, wow. everywhere okay. they went is, like, one of the big places. That was and then it was mastered at MasterDisc New York. So That sounds like I mean, expensive. Yeah, they went <laughs> for, for a record that only involved four, well, three uh-huh. staff while the album was being made and one person to master it. It's like, wow, you made something that sounds awesome. Yeah. Probably because there weren't too many cooks in the kitchen, you know? And, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, probably. Um, and, and at the end we get, uh, we get a modulation. I always, I always like, modulations I noticed too. that. Yeah. I, I like it when they modulate. So and I think it's like the only time it happens on the record, isn't it? I think so. It's yeah. the only one that caught my ear anyway. Um, you know, I, mi- I miss that stuff sometimes, but like, uh, th- this one's, this one's like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we've got 10 boots stomping. This is a very rocking tune right from the start. Uh, and it's not too shabby for a song that's literally just about the boots the guy is wearing. <laughs> my, my first comment was on 10 boots stomping. I was like, huh, because there's five guys in the band, huh? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and um, I do suspect no. that, I mean, if you look at the credits, it says all songs written by Dangerous Toys, but then it gives like says, you know, Jace McMaster wrote the lyrics. Okay. And okay. so I'm looking at the at the at the credits and Mike Watson actually wrote the lyrics to this song. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. So I was thinking about that and the fact that it, it has a bass intro and I'm like, Mike brought this song. Yeah. <laughs> and that's rad. The, yeah. the, the McMaster's like, no, dude, I'll use your lyrics. It's fine. Yeah. Like, right on, dude. I admire that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I like how the boots have holes in them from rattlesnake bites and how he's going to wear the boots when he's dead and buried. Those are some fucking big-ass rattlesnakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Or some very thin boots. (laughs) One of the two, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. there's there's several... uh, This kind of struck me as, like, there's several cowboy kinds of tunes on this record, and it sort of seems weird to me because with the imagery they use, you know, the cover, and, like, the attitude they project, they don't really seem like cowboys to me. But, Maybe that's part of the reason they weren't as, yeah. as successful, just because the image was like a weird mix and nobody could really yeah. latch on to it. I mean, I buy, you know, they're from Texas, so they oh, they, very they much got so. Some, they got some cowboy in them, but like, uh, but like it, the you know everything else is sort of like it just doesn't quite match up for me a little bit. Yeah, there is just odd kind of disconnect between certain yeah. things. Uh, and then the final tune, uh, that dog, as opposed to this one, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this, He's got tattoos. Yeah, this is another great rock song. I have absolutely no idea what the lyrics are about here. I was um, guessing it had something to do with lycanthropy. Yeah. But that's just yeah. because yeah. that was the funny answer for me. Yeah, I couldn't get them to hang together at all. Uh, so if any of our listeners have any insight, uh, please let us know what you think that dog by Dangerous hey, Jason, Toys is about. Hey, Jason, if you're listening, well, one, that would be super rad. Yeah. And two, um, <laughs> yeah, you can let us know because the song rips. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, liked it a lot. Good, good closer for the for the album too. So yeah, once again, it's 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 an album where you can tell that it was one. It was recorded to be sequenced on an LP. 
Yeah. Because it has that sort of internal sequencing between the front and the back. And I just like it when a band clearly put that much care into making sure that the sides yeah. flowed in a proper way. Uh, yeah. I love it. I like that too. Yeah. That's probably Max Norman again. <laughs> you know, for all, it yeah. very well could be. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about some vinyl? Let's do it. Well, and uh, so our vinyl history lesson for Dangerous Toys is that there's not much to tell. Uh, <laughs> you know, and just uh, so many things have been reissued in this world. Uh, this had its general release, you know, in 1989. It was available. It was issued on CD straight away, which in 1989 could sometimes be kind of a, wow, hey, all right, big deal, you know. Uh, I had a friend who once went to a CD shop to ask if he could get a Ramones CD, and they and the guy laughed and said, they're never going to put the Ramones on CD. <laughs> um, so, you know, here we are. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it got its cassette CDs and LPs all over the world. My copy is a, a Dutch promotional copy, which is kind of awesome wow. because it has a little booklet in it that's like a promotional flyer for Dangerous Toys. That's cool. Really yeah, I've never seen th anything like that before. So yeah, it has its general release everywhere in the world, pretty much. Uh, and then it got one CD reissue in 2008 by Columbia. Like okay. actual, okay. Because you know, like a lot of the CD reissues you see in the mid 2000s of all the bands we know and like, it'll, it'll be on something like Friday Music or uh, uh, Music mm -hmm. on Vinyl or some little independent yeah. label that snatched up the rights to an album to put it out. But this was reissued by Columbia in 2008, and that's the only reissue since 1989. There's wow. nothing else out there. I mean, there's some, like, unofficial represses that come from maybe questionable places or whatever, but that's it. Yeah. There was the regular run when it first came out. There's one CD reissue. That's <laughs> it. Wow. Okay. And I'm just amazed by that. Because, yeah, I mean... There's smaller albums that we've talked about or yeah. other albums of maybe what I would call like an equal popularity that, that got all kinds of reissues. And, you uh -huh. know, even through the 90s here, there or somewhere would put it back out. But this one just vanishes after 89. Wow. It Yeah, it's so weird. Huh. And that's literally the entirety of the vinyl history lesson. Yeah. That, that makes it sort of stick out as being unusual so far in, yes. in the albums we've talked about. Uh, granted, we didn't start doing vinyl history lessons until, you know, right. fairly true. recently. That's true. But even most of the albums we talked about before still are generally more available. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably why this was not a cheap LP to obtain. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you're right. <laughs> Uh, there's not much, uh, for, for gear either. I looked for, I'm not even going to play the theme, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised by that at all. Yeah. I did quite a bit of searching. I didn't find anything. Um, I think partly because their name comes up with all kinds of results, uh, that, you know, it's uh, a, of an adult nature. Uh, right? Yeah. Right. So that makes it a little tricky. Um, but you, the band themselves have a lot of interviews online, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Like there's tons of interviews with all the members and they're all, they all seem really happy to talk about the band and and the history and yeah i didn't there's no drama or you know like weird sorted stories or anything they, no they, they just, just sort of their window yeah. passed they went on and did other things yeah and yeah they seem like they still that. they still like each other they still like playing together and stuff like that it's just like that part's impressive because there's all sorts yeah. of bands that just can't stand each other anymore you know right yeah yeah it just seems like it's just not worth it for them to do it because they never broke through to that next level and that's it's, it's it's also too bad for like bands like that because you know i mean 
they had their album went gold, like half right. a million copies. Yeah. That doesn't suck. Yeah, it feels uh, like that means something, you know? It should. <laughs> I mean, like we go back to with with uh, Badlands, how selling 400,000 copies was a disappointment. It's like, yeah. damn, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's very strange. It's like, a, I mean, but but it tells you, like, the difference between then and now, you know? And, and yep. Sort of thing. Like, you know, 400,000 would be, like, huge now. So it would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've had years where there's only been like one platinum record. Yeah. As in the 80s, everybody got to have a platinum right. record. I think right. they even gave them out in fucking Rice Krispie boxes. Right. Here's your platinum <laughs> album. <laughs> you know, you get one, you get one. What the hell? We all get one. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you guys again for listening, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Have fun, everybody. <laughs> 